Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How you doing this morning? Yeah, this reminds me of an old-time church because I see everybody has their bulletin and they're all fanning themselves. I had just got word from uh, one of our administrators that we have some problems with our air conditioning, so I'm only going to preach for three hours. Lock the doors in the back, guys. Okay. Well, I had a very typical New Mexico day yesterday. Typical in the sense that I was spending time with the state bird, the roadrunner, or as we call it in our little brochure, the chaparral. Well, we have a little roadrunner here that is our pet roadrunner. He's on the campus and he basically thinks that he owns the place. Well, uh, I had walked out of the office and head down this back corridor and I saw him out doing what he does. Usually he has a, a lizard or something in his mouth and he's beating it on a rock. And so he looked at me like, what do you want? And then he took off and I, I was heading out to the park because I wanted to take my Bible and read out in the park. It's a beautiful thing to do. So I'm following him out and he thinks that I'm following him, but I'm actually just walking to the park. So every few feet he turns around and he looks at me and then he starts beating this lizard on the ground. It's sort of a gruesome wild kingdom moment here at Calvary, I know. Well, as I looked at his prize, I realized that it had a little orange section, a little green section and a little yellow section. And as I got closer, I realized the thing that he was trying to pummel to death on the ground was a gummy worm. (laughs) Finally, we both made it to the park and he looked at me and he just took out across the park with a gummy worm in his mouth like he had just, you know, caught dinner for everybody back at the, the ranch and... Sorry to say, he's very mistaken. I wanted to say, buddy, it's not what you think, really. Well, when it comes to our subject today, our subject is God's love. In fact, we've titled it God's Love on Display. If you'd like to turn with me to Romans chapter 5, we can read together. But I think that when it comes to the issue of God's love, there's a lot of misconception. Because we all come to the table with our own baggage, don't we? If you grew up in a home that was very loving and expressive, whenever you hear the word love, you say, Ah, oh, I know God loves me. Because you grew up in that environment. But maybe you grew up in an environment that was hostile and there was a lot of fighting and a lot of insecurity. And so whenever you hear the term love, you say, Oh, I don't know. Or or maybe there's a sense of failure because of lost love. Well, in our, our passage today, we're going to see the real nature of what God does and His love and expression toward us. Read with me beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for another beautiful day. And it is a reminder of your graciousness, of your grace, of your love, and the way that you just so wonderfully pull us along. Lord, we need your words for our hearts, for our minds, to continue on in a way, Lord, that is pleasing to you, to present a gospel to a lost and hurting world. Lord, we know that this is not only food for our souls, but it is an act of worship. So we give it to you, Lord, and ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone expresses love. In fact, we have three points in our message today. We're going to look at, first of all, the expression of God's love, the nature of God's love, and then finally the result of God's love. You know, everyone expresses love in a unique way. Um, There's verbal expression. You've heard it. I love you. I can remember the first months, first years of our marriage, and uh, it came out of my mouth so easily. But as you get into marriage, especially with the nature of Carly and I, we've been married for 17 years now. She knows that there's no way out. She's lost hope. Anyway, (laughs) she's stuck with me. But early on, you know, you kind of get in an argument and you haven't been in an argument before. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And I can remember the end of a, a couple of our arguments and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I love you. And the response came back that I wasn't expecting, which was, No, you don't. (laughs) What? You're questioning my love? Well, if you loved me, you wouldn't have said those things. You know? Verbal expression of love. But then it can go further. There's also hugs and kisses, like um, Todd always wants us to do. Plenty of hugs and kisses around here. And then there are letters. There are written notes. I mean, how many of you have hung on to those love letters and those notes that you've received from your spouse over the years? I mean, they're priceless. They're like battery chargers for your love. But then there are also gifts. Some of you love to receive gift. And nothing says, I love you, like a nice gift in the hand. Or maybe there's acts of service. I'm going to do something for you just because I love you. And others show their love by acts of kindness and grace. But it says here in verse 8 of Romans 5 that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's always a lot of demonstration. And in fact, as a man, I have to demonstrate things in my house all the time. Mostly, I'm demonstrating my strength for everyone else. I demonstrate it by opening jars for people. You know, that's, come on, who are we kidding here? Uh, I'm demonstrating my abilities by getting things from the top shelf for everybody else in the house. But when it comes to God and his love for us, he demonstrates it by action. It is pure demonstration of his love by action. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do something that proves it. The word that is used here in the Greek for demonstrate means putting together by combining or comparing or hence show or prove or establish or exhibit. I love what Lawrence Richards says about this. He says it means drawing the evidence together to sum it up into a single exhibit. And Vincent in his famous commentary says this, God continuously establishes his love in that the death of Christ remains as its most striking manifestation of God's love. 
God demonstrates His love. How? It answers the question, how does He demonstrate it? By His expression of love of dying on the cross for us. Those who would say readily, God doesn't love me. I don't, how could God love me? We have a reminder, we have a represent, representative of His love forevermore that says, God loves me because He demonstrated it by His own death on the cross. Well, it answers how He expressed it. But we have to answer the next question, who? Verse 6 and verse 8 explain who are the recipients of this love. It says in verse 6 that Christ died for the ungodly. Now the word here, this Greek word that is used here, means godless, without fear and reverence of God. It is one who is actively pursuing the opposite of what God's law demands. Now when I think of ungodly, I think of somebody doing something really creepy, standing over in the corner. And you could look at them and go, whew, that's ungodly. This is not necessarily the case. The ungodly person is the person who has separated themselves from the relationship and from God's influence to all together. And this is what I mean. Here's the attitude. I will do what I want to do when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, and with who I want to do it. And I will never consider what you have to say, God. It will never come into my mind. And since ungodly, unappreciative of the things of God. Okay, he not only died for them, the who, but notice in verse 8, it says that Christ died for us. The us here is speaking of believers. Paul is saying, yes, at one point we were ungodly, but now those of us who have received his forgiveness have apprehended the truth of his death on the cross. God has died for us and we now stand as true believers receiving what God has done. All right. Not only do we have the how and the who, but we beg the question, when? Verse 6 tells us the when. When we were without strength. Literally, the word here means helpless. The Greek gives us more insight. It means without strength, powerless, in a moral sense, wretched and diseased. You know, there is a great deception in this world among people that believe that there are certain things I can do to make myself acceptable to God. In fact, I've identified two syndromes. One syndrome is I can do it syndrome, and the other syndrome is I should do it. But mankind is constantly trying to make itself better for God. And one thing that I found about that is that every time that you try, what you find is that you get worse and worse. Isn't it true? I try to make myself better. I try to do better. And all I seem to do is make it worse and worse. That's the plight of this world. Now, when this happened was when we were helpless But also, it says, while we were still sinners, in verse 8. The word that is used here for sinner is a word that means to miss the mark. And it pictures the idea of someone taking a bow and shooting it at a target and missing it altogether. The word sinner here is usually used synonymously with the ungodly. And here's the point. A sinner is someone who is messed up spiritually. Just to lay it out for all that it's worth. It's someone who is messed up 
spiritually. Now, when it speaks of the sinner, let me just declare this, uh, make it a little clearer. He's not speaking of someone who has been born again and yet has the capacity to sin. In fact, we use the phrase quite often, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true, but not completely. The word here that is used speaks of a condition that has not yet laid itself before the foot of the cross and gasped God for forgiveness. And so this person is in a state of sinfulness. Once you are born into the family of God, you may have the capacity for sin, but you're no longer in the category of a sinner ungodly. You're in the category of a child and you may receive discipline and correction as a child, but you're not considered a sinner in this sense. A few things we need to note about sinners. First of all, a sinner has no peace. They may have temporary peace. There may be peace as you walk by a river stream and and maybe peace as you practice certain type of breathing techniques, but no real satisfying peace that comes from a genuine relationship with the living God. There is no real peace. And as we mentioned before, the sinner is someone who misses God's best. If you don't know what you're aiming for, you're always going to hit your mark. If you know, if you don't know where you're going, you're always going to hit out there. And the sinner, because he hasn't really come to God yet, he doesn't really know what God wants. And if you and I don't know what God wants, then we're in trouble because we'll never be able to fulfill and find joy and completeness until we know exactly what our creator wants for us. So they always miss the best in life. They never hit the mark. And then finally, they never know freedom, the freedom that comes from forgiveness. There's nothing like the fresh air of forgiveness to help a person through life. All right. He came when we were helpless. He came when we were sinners. But in verse 10, he says that he died for us when we were enemies. Enemies, that's a strong term, isn't it? But let me give you some stronger terminology. The phrase enemy here means one that is hated or there's a process of mutual enmity between the two. Satan was in this camp. He was a covering cherub and yet he, out of his own pride and his own declaration, decided that he would be like God. And this course of being called an enemy is really, I believe, a it's satanic at its core. And you'd say, well, wait a minute, Dave, I don't have any pentagrams in my house. And the only goat head that I have is in the backyard. And we try to clear those out every year with poison. Okay, that's a joke. It kind of went over. I know you guys are tired. Well, anyway, you say, I'm not an enemy, a satanic enemy. But yes, in the sense that if you're not reconciled to God, there is a pride and a rebellion that marks your life as an enemy. A few things we need to note about enemies. That enemies live in fear, especially when they're enemies with a greater power. They know that they can't win, and so they live in fear, and they're constantly on the run. An enemy is someone who is afraid, absolutely afraid, of the truth and what may happen. You know, you can talk to someone and you say, Hey, would you like to go to church with me? Out of here. See you later, buddy. Hey, would you want to come over for a Bible study? They're gone. 
They're, they're showing the fact that I have a fear of the things of God because things are not right between God and I. Oftentimes, the worst aspect of being an enemy is hatred. You've experienced it. You've experienced it in friends who you say, I'd love to share the gospel with you. And you say, I don't want to hear anything about God. I hate him. If he could do, look at all the stuff he's allowed in my life. If God was real, why is this suffering going on? And you see this intense bitterness and hatred that a person has. Now, again, I want to clarify this. I am not judging that person. We're simply stating what the scripture says, and that is this, that God loved that person who was an enemy unto him so much that at the right time he died on a cross. There's no judgment there. That person is living in condemnation. God expresses his love to those who even absolutely hate him, such as the great grace of God. Not only were we sinners or enemies, but it says in verse 6, it was in due time or at the right time. Keep your finger here in Romans and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Timing is everything when you're in need, wouldn't you say? When do you need a fireman? When your house is on fire. When do you need a doctor? Well, when you're sick. Men only need a doctor when they're absolutely sick and right on the verge of collapse. You women know that. They don't need a doctor when everything's okay. I'm fine, honey. But when they're sick, you have to sort of pour them into the car and then pull them out into the doctor's office. When do you need a savior or a hero or a rescue operation? It's when you're absolutely lost or helpless. Have any of you ever been lost in the woods? Everybody, anyone get lost out when you're walking in the woods? I mean, I see on the news every couple of years or so, someone gets lost up here in the mountains, and I think, that's the last place I'm going. I, don't, I mean, I, I know I would be lost there. I mean, my biggest fear is being left alone in the mall. Carly and the kids are together. They look at me and say, honey, we'll be right back here in one hour. And where's here? Well, look around you. There's a fountain. There's a taco stand. You'll be fine. You know, and I find myself an hour later in another store across town. I don't know where I am. Come and help me. Well, there is a rescue operation that is needed for someone who is helpless. And we have a savior. We have a hero. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 21, and we find the name and the identity of this hero. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So it's all in the name. There's two designations given here. One name is Jesus, which is Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. It comes from that great ineffable tetragrammaton, uh, yod heh vav It is 
Yahweh. And it was the name that God gave to Moses when he gave him a commission for the children of Israel. And Moses stopped and said, who shall I say has sent me? And he said this name, Yahweh, tell them that I am have sent you. And so the first designation of this savior of this hero is God is salvation. His second designation is Emmanuel. God is with us. As if to say, not only is God salvation, but salvation has arrived. The cavalry has arrived. The hero is on the scene. Luke 19.10, Jesus says these words, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came at the right time. All right, we see the expression of his love. Let's look at the nature of his love. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Here's a great statement about human love. Human love is conditional. And that's the way we view things. For a righteous man, the righteous man is simply a guy who follows the rules and does everything right. The good man that is spoken here is a guy who follows the rules, but he's compassionate and loving. He's the kind of guy that makes it easy to love. And he says to us, those of us who are humans, we would gladly, maybe, possibly die for someone like that. In fact, many of you would like to call people like that your friends, wouldn't you? I like people who are righteous and good because they're always great to have around. And people will say, you're friends with that guy? And I'll say, sure. But here's the contrast. Jesus loved the unlovable. I remember a story that I'd read about Mother Teresa. What a great saint. What an example of love and acceptance. Well, she was in Phoenix and back in 1989 and speaking on a radio program. And the announcer toward the end of the interview asked her, he said, Mother Teresa, is there anything you'd like to say to our people, our listeners out here? And so he thought that she would say something about where you can donate to a charitable organization. And this was her response. She said, yes, there is something I'd like to say. She said, find somebody else that nobody loves and love them. Find someone that no one else loves and love them. What a beautiful description of God's love. All right. God's love is in contrast to human love in that in verse 8 we see that he died for sinners. His love, first of all, is self-sacrificing. I love what he told his disciples in John 14, 13. He says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And in Matthew 20, he said, even so of the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This reminds me, I think, of, a, of an illustration I'll try to render to you of um, a soldier. Imagine, if you will, a soldier who is on guard and he is near a minefield and he sees some children playing near that field. They're a mixed group of children. You have some sweet children. You have some kids who are mischievous, who are hurting the other kids. And then you have some other kids who hate the soldier, who blaspheme and say curses against him and throw rocks at him. 
Well, the soldier, seeing that they're getting closer to the danger, begins to yell to them and says, Stay out of there. Get away from there. The kids don't listen. They don't understand. They don't care for him. But as one moves very close to the danger zone, the soldier jumps in and moves the child out of the way and himself is exploded and he's over. He dies. At that point, every one of the kids realized what he was talking about. That this is a very dangerous place. And Jesus Christ and this bloody old wooden cross stands in the middle of humanity, in the middle of history to tell everyone, you think that sin is easy? You think that it's okay to play with? You think that it's something that's not dangerous? Well, then let me tell you the reality of truth. You have the Savior of the world. You have God Himself coming here and dying on a cross for a sick and lost humanity. That's how dangerous sin is. And that's the sacrifice and the giving nature of Jesus Christ. Not only is this self-sacrificing love, but it's an expensive love. I remember reading a story of William Gladstone, who, in speaking to the House of Commons, speaking about Princess Alice's death, he told these words. He said, she had contracted, her daughter had contracted diphtheria. And the physician who was caring for the daughter told the mom, be sure and be careful not to kiss her. Because if you do... You may inhale the deadly disease into your lungs and you will contract it and you will die. Well, as the daughter progressed in her disease, she began to weaken and to writhe more in pain. And so at one moment, her her poor little chest arched and she gasped for air and she... She cried out to her mom and her mom came and swooped her up in her arms and she said, Mama, kiss me. Mama, kiss me. And without even any hesitation, mom leaned down and she kissed her right on the mouth. And mom contracted the disease and mom and daughter both died. But my friends, that is the picture of the costly nature of God's love for humanity. That we're crying out. We have a disease. We're morally stricken. And and Jesus, without even any contemplation of himself, reaches down and kisses a diseased people because he loves us. You, You may think for one second that God doesn't love you. I don't know what he needs to do or what he can do to prove to you that he loves you. There should be no more proof than that. That is the nature of God's love. Well, let's move on to the final section, and that is the result of God's love. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. And this is where it gets good. These are our promises. This is the result of God's love. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved through the wrath, from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, We shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. There are four words I want us to concentrate on and we will end this service. The first word is justified. Notice here that we have been justified. Justification is a Greek word that means to acquit or to vindicate or to pronounce righteous or establish as right. That is, this is what it means. 
We were sinners in our past. We have a terrible reputation with God. Other people may know the good things about you, but God knows every single rotten, terrible thing that you've ever thought or done. But because of his own love, he came and paid the price for that. And so now on the books for those who are in Christ, boom, vindicated. It's done. As far as the books are concerned, it's over. You cannot open it. It's done. This person that loves me is declared right and righteous and it's done. Never again. You cannot bring up their past. You cannot do anything. That's why we say when you're justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Because God has closed the book on that. And that is the result of his love. And that is awesome. Isn't it? Second word. Second word. Yes. Not only we are justified, but we're saved. And saved brings with it the idea of being rescued. And there's two elements to being saved. There's the element of being saved right now in this world from this present nature that you live in. And that is, you and I are subject to the things of this world and to the rotten nature and the sinful rebellion. And once you're saved now, you begin to walk with the Lord and you have freedom and you experience things that you've never experienced before. And I'm saved from my old life. But he also points to the fact that we're going to be saved in the future because there is a day coming when this world that stays in rebellion against God one day will give an account to him and those who have not received the Lord, those who have rejected him will receive the wrath of God. And that is a terrible, terrible day on this earth. And he says, we have been saved from the wrath to come. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no more judgment for you or me. It's over. It's gone. Jesus took the whole wrath of what we deserved on the cross That's what it means to be saved. Not only saved, but thirdly, reconciled. Reconciled carries with it the idea of being forgiven. It is the Greek word katalaso, which means to exchange, hence to reconcile those at variance. Nothing frees a person like getting things right with someone you love, right? Maybe you've had arguments with your dad with your mom, with your sister, uncle, cousin, family member, co-worker, or maybe even believer. And until that relationship is right, oh, what a burden, what a prison to be in. I mean, you just think about it. Well, you know that it's hard on you because the last thing you want to do is see that person The last thing you want to do is talk to that person. So when you go to the grocery store, you go somewhere in town that you think they might be, you're always walking around. What are you going to do if I see them? I'm just going to turn my head. But when you get things right, oh, you can look everywhere. To the right, to the left. And I can meet any person's eyes, everyone's gaze, because I'm freed and that relationship is restored. Now that's the way it is with God. If you're living in his backyard, this world, and you're not right with him, you're constantly dodging, constantly looking away from the cross, constantly looking away from the things of God because you know things aren't right with God. And that's the truth. But when you get it right, oh, oh, you better look out. A great life is coming for you because you're free. You're reconciled. You're brought together.
All right, the final word we find in verse 11, it's joy. Joy. It says not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is the final product in the Christian's life. And joy is the mark of completion. Joy is the mark that God is actually involved in a person's life. It's the truth. Joy, as I define it, is unstoppable hope. You're going to continue to go through problems. You're going to continue to have trials. But the joy of knowing that I'm justified, joy knowing that I'm saved, joy knowing that I'm reconciled to God, all the accounts are clear, everything is right in God, it means that I can face every trial, everything that I go to with freedom because I know all is right with God. I'm free. And you're free if you're in Christ. And if you're free and the Son has made you free indeed, you are now free to live a joyful life that is never compared to anything that you've ever had before. It is a life of blessing knowing that I'm on the mark with God and what I produce in this world has eternal consequences and eternal value. That is joy from heaven. Praise the Lord. There's a poem by Kitty Chapel, and I think it's more of a prayer than a poem, but I'll read these words, and I think they're very appropriate. She said, he stood there in his soggy, smelly diaper, a helpless creature reaching up to his father. I marveled that anyone could love this runny-nosed, candy-smeared, tear-streaked being enough to lift him up, kiss him, and care for his needs. I heard you whisper, Lord, and I remembered how I came to you brokenhearted and dirty from playing in the world. Thank you, Father, for picking me up, loving me, though and through my unloveliness. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.